another day, another dollar makes you wonder where your money went. You can scream and you can. Hi, folks. This is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, the things that we can all do to live a better life. Dictated is almost always from my personal mobile studio, which is my 2006 Jetta Diesel TDI as I make my 50-mile commute between Arlington and Frisco, Texas. Today is Wednesday, January 7th. I'm not sure if I will publish the show today, though, because I'm publishing yesterday's show today as soon as I get to the office. And if you're listening to this, odds are you listened to yesterday's show already. Uh, we had a little technical glitch at the office, and I could not uh, get my my files uploaded from the office yesterday, and uh, that's why there's a delay. I'm debating whether to put this show out today uh, with so having two shows today or holding off till tomorrow, getting a bit of a head since uh, I'm coming off of vacation and uh, the week is shortening itself as I'm trying to uncover myself from the uh, massive amount of stuff that came in while I was gone. Anyway, enough of the house cleaning with that. Um, I'd like to, if you're a new listener, uh, just give you a brief idea of what this show is really all about. Uh, it is about what I call modern survival philosophy. And we talk about all aspects of it. We talk about it from personal self-protection to tactical uh, response situations uh, on occasion. We talk an awful lot about gardening and food production. Uh, we talk about storing water, storing food. We talk about hunting and fishing. We talk about self-sufficiency. We talk about green energy. Uh, if it has anything to do with making yourself less dependent on the systems and more independent, we try to talk about it and make room for it. We also talk a lot about the economy because it's one of the biggest threats we have. We talk about other threats, too, like pandemic flu, which I'm actually going to talk about again this week. I think I'll do a show tomorrow on pandemic flu. If not, I'll do something next week because there's some new developments there that we need to be aware of and realize that just because the press stopped talking about this on a daily basis doesn't mean that it went away, that it's still out there. So that's the point of the show. And yesterday I made a comment that... We are dependent not on the system, but on the systems. That there are multiple systems of dependence, and it's time that we start thinking that way. Because what we need to start doing is we need to start evaluating our lifestyle and our lifestyle choices and say, when I make this decision, when I do this thing, is it creating dependence or is it creating independence? And you might not really be able to answer that question unless you are also asking simultaneously which system of these systems is it making me more dependent upon or is it making me dependent upon multiple systems. Let's, and if you're a smoker, I don't want you to be offended or angered. If you want to smoke, smoke your brains out. I'm actually a cigar smoker. Now I smoke about, oh God, one to two cigars a month. So I, I don't consider myself the typical smoker, but... But, you know, I occasionally smoke a cigar. So I'm not totally opposed to smoking. But let's say you are a heavy smoker, all right? You're a person that smokes 
two packs a day. And I know people that smoke more than that. So two pack a day smoker. All right. I don't know what cigarettes sell for anymore. I'm thinking it's somewhere up around five bucks a pack. All right. Now, if you smoke two packs a day, that's ten dollars a day. That's seventy dollars a week. That's a hundred and forty every two weeks, or two hundred and eighty dollars a month. All right. That amount of money. If invested from the time that you were 18 years old, all right, to the time you were 35 years old, into good, safe bond funds, stuff that's the safest stuff you can invest in, in an IRA or some other type of tax-deferred uh, situation, 35, you quit investing the money. 65, you're a multimillionaire, all right? <laughs> and, and, again, I'm not picking on you just Plenty of habits. There's people that spend that much a day. At Starbucks, I used to be one of them. I had to get myself off of that habit. But what I want to ask you is, if you're that person and you're, you've succumbed to that nicotine addiction and you're spending that amount of money, which system are you dependent upon? And we haven't, I haven't told you what's, what some of the systems that I've dissected out of this thing are yet, but I just want you to think about that now. And even if you don't smoke, think about it if you did, which system would you be dependent on? Or which systems would you make yourself dependent upon? Alright, now let me tell you the systems that you would be, and most likely would be dependent upon. Number one, you are making yourself more dependent upon the financial system. And maybe people think that the financial system isn't necessarily a bad thing. We need money, right? We need a currency. Uh, but when I get done with this show, you might realize that the financial system as it is, is a disaster, and it's designed to create entrapment, slavery, and dependence. Alright? Now, if you're in debt, and odds are if you're blowing that kind of money every day on cigarettes, you're probably in debt. Alright? If you're in debt, you're also now dependent on the debt system. Alright? Okay? You say, well, how can I be dependent on the debt system? Isn't the financial system and the debt system the same thing? No. The financial system is a system into itself. It creates debt. But it does not have to. It's not required to at the individual level. The financial system creates debt at a national level. I'll explain that as we go through today. But there's a financial system for you, which is simply the need for income. All right? You have a day-to-day cost of living that you have to make a bogey. If you don't make at least X dollars a day, you start to go into debt. That's the financial system. Once you're in debt and you're trying to pay it off and it's siphoning money out of your financial side into your outgoing column, that's a debt system. Now you're dependent on both of those. Well, what about the health care system? Now, Anyone knows today, you know, they used to have doctors come on TV in the 50s and tell you which brand of cigarettes were the healthiest all-natural cigarette. That really happened, okay, for younger people may not know that. In the 50s, there were cigarette commercials on TV with recognized MDs smoking a cigarette, telling people, I always recommend to my patients, Marlboro or whatever, all right? But today we know it's a very, very bad, bad thing, to smoke two packs of cigarettes a day. I think a lot of cigarette smokers that do smoke, I don't know, ten cigarettes a day, which is like half a pack, would look at a two-pack smoker and go, man, dude, you need to, you know, you're just smoking too much. Something's wrong. (laughs) So when your fellow smoker tells you something's wrong, you know something's wrong. But that person who smokes two packs a day is doing damage to their body. 
because they're doing damage to their body, they're going to increase their medical problems. Now, there's no guarantee that person's going to get lung cancer, but their overall cancer risk rate is a lot higher. That's why the cost to insure them with life insurance is much more expensive. All right? That back, more dependency upon the currency system, the financial system. All right? At the same time, so the medical system. So you look at one thing like that, and you realize, okay, well, here's three separate systems that it makes a person dependent upon. Now, what are some of the other systems out there? Well, there's the government bureaucracy system. And the government bureaucracy system is working very, very hard to pull the medical system completely under its veil with socialized health care. Right? If you are a low-income person, deeply ridden with more debt than you have income, at a point where you don't even really pay income taxes anymore, as many two-pack smokers are, you begin to look to the government as somebody to solve your problems. Then you become dependent on the bureaucratic system as it merges in with the medical system. And even if it doesn't, you still look to them to solve your other problems created by the debt system and the financial system. Are you starting to see how these things all interplay here? And if you're worrying that this is going to be another one of these um, shows on the economy and in the world where I tell you all the problems without the solutions, no, no, no. I'm going to give you solutions to these things. I just want to lay it out in front of you and make you realize how dependent most people are. And probably you are, even as a survival-minded individual. Right now, I'm dependent. But you have to know what you're dependent upon to free yourself from it. One more system I want to talk about before I start breaking them down individually and telling you what you can do about it. And we'll let the smokers go on this one because we're all dependent on this one. The military-industrial complex system. All right. Now, I don't want anybody to think I'm speaking ill of our military. I'm prior service myself. If you've listened to prior shows, you know that I love our soldiers beyond belief. We adopted a union. We sponsored it. But I have to put this in perspective for you, because if I don't, I'm not doing you a just service. I can't refuse to go somewhere, because it might bend a nose or two. The problem with the military-industrial complex is the total amount of taxpayer dollars that go into it. It is now well over $700 billion. All right? That is more money than if you take the Soviet Union, the Chinese, the Japanese, and every other country in the world. Lump all their defense, the entire world, all their defense budgets to one basket. Say, how much do they spend? We outspend them by a long shot. Okay? England, France, all the industrialized nations, all the big countries, Brazil, more money than all of them combined. What's that tell us? That tells us that we have built a system that's designed for world domination. All right? 
we know that we are vulnerable, that a lot of people in the world do not like us for a variety of reasons. Some hate us because we have freedom here. Some hate us because we have disbanded the class structure here. Some countries, folks, you've got to accept this, legitimately hate us because they see us as the main catalyst that has pushed their country into debt while we claimed it was in the name of financial aid. I won't get into that today. It's too much to explain. But trust me, there's a lot of African nations that have had to seize the land of their farmers, take away local agriculture, and start planting corn and wheat and rice and things like that um, to be able to sell it as a world commodity to handle the debt uh, umbrella that we placed over them. All right, so they don't like it. So we know we have enemies out there. But even with the entire world we're our enemy, and they're not, do we have to outspend the entire world to have a good, stable military when we have the largest arsenal of nuclear weapons in the world? Odds are, we probably do not. So what's the, what's the issue here, though, with dependence? When you spend over $700 billion a year on something, it is a fundamental piece of your economy. It is a huge piece of your economy. And it, what we do not understand right now is if we said, you know what we're going to do? We're going to cut defense spending. And people think Clinton cut defense spending because we did some downsizing of the armed forces and all. We didn't really cut spending. We cut departments, and we put the money into more high-tech weaponry and things like that. So we had a smaller force with more lethality. Right now they need boots on the ground, so they're building the forces back up as, as fast as they can, which is hard to do during a war, because a lot of people don't want to go. All right, But that money being pumped into the economy directly feeds the financial system. So if we cut it out... You think we're in a recession or a depression right now? If we cut $300 billion in spending out of a $700 billion defense military industrial complex, what would that do to the United States economy? That $300 billion evaporated overnight. How many companies exist that don't look like they have anything to do with defense, but they are there to support the companies that are, and how many companies support them? What kind of chain reaction would that create? So the, the problem we have right now is without totally ravaging the economy beyond belief, making 1929 look like lollipop land, we can't dismantle the military-industrial complex overnight. It has to be a very slow, tedious process. There's a lot of resistance to it. So it is yet another thing that we are dependent on because we send our treasure to it and we send our young men and women to bleed and cry from it. And some of them are in places right now that, God, I look at it and I go, do we not learn anything from Vietnam? And I'm not talking about, is Iraq Vietnam or Afghanistan Vietnam? No. I'm talking about little encapsulated pieces of it. People that are out trying to hold a remote hill somewhere in the mountains, right, or a remote patch of desert land that are being attacked. And we look at that location we go, is there really any strategic value to it? And we go, you know what, there really isn't. Somebody decided that we need to hold that piece of, of ground. But, you know, do 50 guys there make a big difference? No, and I just see the potential for a Hamburger Hill incident to happen somewhere, uh, especially in the Afghan provinces right now. And it's a sad thing. And uh, But I can't make this all about that aspect of things because I want to talk to you about what goes on at home today and how you can begin to sever your dependence from these systems. So let's start going through them. 
the, there's one system I left out. It's the one I'm going to start with, and it's why I do so much about guarding. It is the food system. All right? And the food system is tied into yet another system, the distribution system. And the medical system is tied to the distribution system. And the military system is tied to the distribution system. And the healthcare system is tied to distribution. All right? Distribution is caused by the concept known as globalization. And that goes, you know, the easiest way to understand this is with our salad that might travel 3,000 miles to get to our plate. Some guy down in Chile picks some lettuce and puts it in a truck, and it goes through the distribution system and ends up at Tom Thumb in Arlington, Texas, and I go buy it and I eat it. And there's a lot that goes on between those two places. And the interesting thing is even in wintertime, you can grow pretty good lettuce right here in Dallas, Texas, but no one does it. Okay? And what I mean, no one does it. I mean, no one does it commercially. And you look at that and go, why? And it's because the economic powers that be want dependence. It is the only way to control people left in the world. Because people today are far more educated than they ever were throughout history. So you need to have a globalized distribution food system if you're going to take people out of an agrarian society and push them into a service-oriented society where they don't know how to produce or do anything of value with their hands anymore. Once you have people in that situation where they're just accountants and managers and assistant managers and programmers, and folks, I do some programming, do some web development, that's what my company does. I'm not pushing those skills and saying that they're useless, but if that's all you have, then you're dependent. You absolutely are dependent. Because if somebody doesn't bring the food to your house and you don't know how to grow it, right? if you get sick and you don't know how to use basic first aid and basic common sense, right? that's why we have people that are on Medicaid taking their children to the doctor for a cold and it's every day and don't tell me it's not because my wife is a pediatric nurse and she's told me that at least half of the people that come through that door have absolutely no need to see a doctor at least half that it's a sniffle a cold a, you know a stomach ache or whatever and, and you know these children that we're trying to protect it's a parent that goes you know I could go get four dollars worth of Tylenol but since I'm dependent <laughs> on the government for my $4 so I can get my cigarettes to make me dependent on the debt system and the health care system. I get free health care, so I'll take my kid to the doctor. It'll be free Tylenol when it says prescription for it, because it's the only thing a doctor, doctor can prescribe, because that's the only thing a kid needs is a little bit of fever reduction. So I'll get my $4 worth of Tylenol for free. But it'll cost the taxpayers about $300, $400 for all that to happen. And then the doctor makes $35 or $45, right? which is barely profitable by the time he pays his staff, his overhead, his insurance, and everything else. All, right? all of them intertwined. So how do you start to get out of it? Number one, you start to produce things for yourself. All right? That involves food. Growing the agriculture, local agriculture. You start to do business in your local economy, and you start to strengthen your county, your city, and even your state. 
You start to put your dollars into your local economy. You make yourself less dependent on the distribution system that way, and a byproduct less dependent upon the, the globalized food system, and you make yourself less dependent on the entire distribution system that gets things there. Because even in a state like Texas, a truck can go from uh, El Paso to Dallas in a day. It's a long day, but it can be done. Right? We're about to, we're, you know, other than Alaska, we're the biggest state out there. So that is just a huge step in and of itself. And it, then it starts to do other things for you. If you're growing some of your own food, you're probably living a healthier life. Now you're less dependent on what? The healthcare system. If you're not spending money on doodads and gadgets and things you can't afford and keeping yourself out of the debt system, you're less dependent on the financial system. These two are like evil twins. You say debt, that's the financial system. No, it's not. All right? The financial system is where your money comes from. The debt system is where your money goes to. Now, that money recycles back through there, but every time it comes back to you, it's worth less and less and less and less through the concept of inflation. Now, everybody's looking at gas prices right now and go, wow, man, it really fell. Sucks why, because the global recession is why, but it's good to see prices come down, but are prices coming down? Are you being lured into a belief that prices are coming down right now? Don't do it. The inflation rate for 2008, cost of all goods. And remember, when we were paying more for gas, they said, no, 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 gas isn't part of inflation anymore. So now that gas has come down, they can't use it to push inflation down. Now we're stuck with the consumer price index. Well, that says that overall prices of consumer goods have gone up 6% in 2008. So the food that you stored in January gave you a 6% return in your stock market investments gave you a negative 40% return this year. So start to open your mind to what's really going on. All right. Now, this is not conspiracy stuff. All right. My place where I go left and the conspiracy theorists go right, or they go right and I go left, it's not a political statement, is when they start talking about backdoors and all these evil empires and everything. What we're looking at is not hidden. It's not concealed. Anyone that will look upon it will see it for what it is. No one's attempting to hide the fact that we're pushing the globe towards one world government. Now, when a politician is directly asked about it, of course, he says, oh, no, 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 no. But he's full of shit. And if you look at the moves that we're taking, and you look at the major powers in the world and what they really want, you start to look at it and go, you know, if you put the systems into a globalized system and you create dependence around the world upon the systems that are globalized, you don't need a global government. It'll just happen. It'll just happen. Here's what I mean. Right now, because the United States has totally screwed the pooch, all right, with this derivative mess and with the subprime lending mess that it all started here. The rest of the world played the game. They got into the big derivative casino. Alright? But we were the source. We were the real estate. We were the place where people that should not buy a home that do not have the money to buy a home or being allowed to buy a home that was creating a real estate boom here and then all of these derivative investments and short side investments and everything came off of us. 
we have now blown that bubble. It's affected the entire world, and now our solution has been, in our financial system, to pump more money in. We've pumped trillions of dollars into the economy. And remember, our money's not backed by a goddamn thing anymore. Nothing backs the U.S. dollar anymore other than the good faith of the American people, who have become dependent sheep. The rest of the world, just like us, eventually went off the gold standard. Everybody did it. But everybody needed to look to a basis for their currency. Since it wasn't gold, what would it be? And the world superpower of the time was the United States of America. It became the American dollar. And what most people do not realize even today is just about every country in the world uses the U.S. dollar as the basis line for their currency. It's what the value of everybody else's money is based on. It's all math. Everybody's paper currency is BS. All right, It's not backed by anything with the good faith of their government and their people. But it's based on ours. Now they're looking at our currency and they're going, you are devaluing your currency. When you devalue your currency, since our currency is based on yours, you're devaluing ours. We need to get out of this. So people like France and China, France and China, getting together going, you know, we don't, maybe we need one currency for the whole world. Or maybe we need some regional currencies, you know, three currencies for the whole world. Once that's done, it's over. And what we have to realize is that if the other nations decide to do this, they don't need us to do it. They'll just do it. How does this create dependency for you? Because what will happen is that our money becomes based on theirs. And eventually we have to play the game too if we want to do business in the world. And it increases your dependence on all the other systems out there. Your only solution is to right now look around you and go, as bad as they say it is, it isn't that bad. There is work for those that want to work. If you're on unemployment because you got laid off, collect your unemployment and find the best job you can. Don't take a job until it pays you better than your unemployment does. All right? Work hard. Find something. Once you find one, if you have to take two jobs, you take two. If you have to take three, you take three. You do whatever you have to right now to reduce your dependence on the debt system. As soon as you reduce your dependence on the debt system, paying off credit cards, paying off bills, whatever, get rid of it. Then you reduce immediately, this is is why it's important to separate the two, you reduce your dependence on the financial system. Put it to you this way. If I have enough debt, that $1,500 a month must go out the door. That's minimum payments on all my debt. And I have an income of $3,000. Alright. I have $1,500 for food, gas, maintenance, entertainment, saving, investing. Alright. Saving and investing are different. Saving is for short term, investing is for long term. All the other things, Jimmy's football games, right? I have $1,500. Now, if I can do that every month, if I can survive on that, then that means my real dependence on the income system is $1,500. But I also have $1,500 dependence on the debt system, so that gets now taken over to the income system. And now I need to make the 3000 
If I eliminate the $1,500 of outgoing funds, I'm not stupid and I don't immediately go out and start running cards up again. My dependence on the income system just cut by 50%. Now I'm only dependent on the income system for $1,500. Now, if $900 of my $1,500 is a housing payment of some sort, rent, mortgage, taxes, insurance, all the things that are required for me to live at home, that also is part of the debt system. But most people will separate that mentally because that's looked at as good debt. Debt on a home, i got to pay something to live, don't I? Right? I can't live for free. Well, not until you pay for your home in full. Right? So once you eliminate everything but the house, then you got to eliminate the debt on the house. And that starts with not buying a $500,000 house. It starts with not buying a $350,000 house for most people. If you don't have the money, you can't do it. And I've heard so many people say, I don't have a choice. You don't know how expensive it is where I live. Really? I live two miles away from you. What do you have? Well, I have a house, and, you know, we wanted a big house, so how many square feet? 2,600. Okay, how many kids you got? One. All right. What do you drive? Uh, I got an excursion, and uh, the wife drives a Lexus. All right. One kid, excursion. Why do you have an excursion? Oh, you know, he's going to play soccer and stuff like that. We need to be able to cart the kids around. Wait, you have one kid. Oh, his friends and stuff. Okay, fine. How old is he? Two. <laughs> I love how the thing paid off. You know, it'll be gone, traded in. It'll be a new debt. By the time the kid's even old enough to kick a soccer ball. And that is what the American sheeple are doing today. I work with someone. Respect the heck out of her. Single mom, two kids. She has a good income. Works for one of our sub-corporations. Alright, so she makes a very good income. It's not rich income. It's not wealthy income. It's very, very solid upper middle class income. I told, she asked me one day, well, what'd you pay for your house? I said $120,000. She said, where do you live? I said, Arlington. She says, it must be cheap down there. I said, depending on where you live, it's cheap, it's expensive, you know, it's all about finding a good deal. So, well, how big is your house? And I told you, 2,000 square feet, two bedrooms, or three bedrooms, uh, home office, two living rooms, uh, brick, vinyl, dirt acre yard, pool, deck. I don't know. I, I don't have a pool. I don't have a deck. So, well, what'd you pay for your house? $369,000. Single mom. Home, three hundred sixty-nine grand. And her, I know where she lives, and her taxes because of the school district are insane. And her school district does no better than my school district does on state rankings. In fact, I think her school district is like two levels above my school district. Right, so that's a that's like a case of creating dependence because of a false belief talking yourself into it. This is what I have to do. Right, that with her income, she lived in a house like mine. She could probably pay the house off in about twelve years. But instead, she'll be in debt for the rest of her life. And of course, she has an eighty twenty loan with a balloon and all this other crap. So it's the only way she can make the payments and still have money for all the things kids want to do and, you know, daycare because she's a single mom and stuff like that. 
So what I'm telling you, my listeners out there, is you have to look at every decision you make, every dollar you spend, every choice you make, and say, does this or does this not create dependence? And if it creates dependence, am I willing to suffer through it? How long does it create dependence? What is my path out? People got on the United States, and and with some good reason, because we went into Iraq without an exit strategy. And I think we really did that. I think that really is a mistake that we made. But when it comes to that exit strategy, what's your exit strategy when you go out and you buy a car and uh, you're going to have five years of payments, 60 payments on it for $400 a month? What's your exit strategy if something goes wrong? What are you going to do? Have you even thought about it? Most Americans never think, what will I do? What will I do if my income drops to where I can't afford this car anymore? And what's even worse is now we've gotten to a point where I just won't pay for it. They'll repossess it. Problem solved. Now, I'm not saying that's you, but that's a lot of people out there. You know, there's a reason the repo business is a big business. So, just... As you're going into this new year, think about increasing your income and decreasing your debt. Think about increasing your personal production. And then the biggest thing that you can do to reduce dependence is increase your skill set and your knowledge set so that you know more and you can do more for yourself. If you know how to do something simple like change brakes on your car... Instead of taking your brakes, you know, your brakes are squealing a little bit and they're getting low and they need to be replaced and you hear an ad, all four wheels for ninety nine ninety five, and you take your car in and they say, oh, you know, you got some wear spots on your rotors and your drums in the back have some hot spots and those drums really need to be replaced and uh, the uh, rotors need to be turned but the right rotor can't really be turned, it needs to be replaced and your caliper's this and bullshit that and on and on and on, they'll tell you, and you don't know anything, you're like, oh God, oh, I'm going to die, my brakes are going to fall apart. And what they're really saying is, you know what, there's nothing wrong with your brakes other than your pads and shoes need to be replaced. Your system needs to be uh, bled and we need to add some brake fluid. Might be good to completely bleed the system and replace all the brake fluid. And that should cost you about $120 at any mechanic shop in America. But we're going to charge you $650 because you're dumb and you don't know what we're doing to you. And now you're dependent on another system. And it's increased your dependence on the income system. And it's probably increased your dependence on the debt system. And since it's the brakes of your car, you think you need to do it. All right? So you have two things you can do to, to educate yourself and empower yourself there. One is to educate yourself enough to go, is there anything dangerous No. Did metal touch metal anywhere on the vehicle? Did we run out of pads, shoes, whatever? Did metal touch metal? If that happened, you probably need to replace that rotor or that drum. Only the one where that happened. Right? Okay, no. If you just put pads and shoes on this and I took my vehicle in for state inspection, would it pass? It would? I see. Okay, just put the pads and shoes on it. And well, you know, it's going to squeal. Maybe it might do this. Well, I don't care. Just do it. That's one way you can do it. And now you're only out a hundred bucks, two hundred and fifty bucks. Or you can learn to change brakes and sh- you know, which is not that hard. You can invest in some jack stands and a, and a good jack and some tools and learn how to do it. And then it'll cost you maybe fifty bucks. 
to do it yourself. And if you end up in a situation where the shit hits the fan, which we all prepare for, but you can't just go down to the mechanic shop, you could do it yourself. Hopefully you have some spare parts by then. But at least you know how things work. When you don't know how things work, you become dependent upon all of the systems again. I don't know how many people call a plumber because their drain is clogged. They dump some Drano into it. That doesn't work. Call a plumber. The plumber comes out, looks at it, sticks a plunger in the sink, plunges it two or three times, down the clog goes and gives you a bill for 80 bucks. Right? And people are laughing right now. I know you're laughing. You're thinking, who does that? People do it. I've seen it. And there's a million little things around your home and house that if people just knew how to take care of things the way they did in the 50s and the 60s, that they wouldn't be dependent on all of those systems. So really, one of the goals you should set for yourself in this new year, learn how to do one new thing a week that's directly useful to you in your life. The next time you have a problem, see if you can solve it. Instead of calling a professional to come do it, call the person in your personal network that you think might have the best amount of knowledge about how to solve the problem. In other words, if you've never changed brakes, do you know somebody that was a mechanic? Could they come over and help you and not do it for you? Don't let them do it for you. Say, look, I really want you to just tell me what to do and walk me through this. I've never done it before. No matter what that is. Alright? Whether it's building a raised bed in your backyard or putting brakes on a car, changing a starter motor or working on a water heater or whatever it is. And when you do hire somebody, pay attention to what they do. Ask them what they're doing. If they're annoyed by it, tell them, you know what, you're on my clock, you're on my payroll. I want to know what you're doing. Not because I'm evaluating your work, because I want to understand it. You know what? Give them a tw- tell them, you know what, I'm going to tip you 20 bucks on top of whatever this costs. Because I want the education that goes with it. If they're not agreeable, send them away. Get yourself somebody else. They'll do it. Now, for my green energy folks, I'm going to wrap up with the last system that we are all dependent upon. The energy system. And it can go down in the subsystem because you've got gas for cars and then you've got all the other fuels that produce electricity. But we're going to leave them all together for right now. Now, this is an area where just like the food system, you have the most amount of immediate control that you can take. If you are driving a vehicle that gets 9 miles to the gallon, get rid of it. Unless you have a reason. If you're hauling heavy stuff every day with it and you need a vehicle like that to do that, that's fine, keep it. If you don't really care how much it costs and you just want it, this is America, it's free, keep it. But if it's killing you, right, if you can't afford it, even with these lower gas prices, get rid of it. Improve the energy efficiency of your home. Learn to do things like turning off freaking light bulbs. Yeah, it bothers me when Barack Obama says we're going to create jobs by having people change light bulbs in government buildings. And I think it's complete nonsense because they're using fluorescent lights in those buildings anyway. But change the lights in your own home. If you have the big globe lights, go out and get the little squiggly lights and put them in. It will save you money. Look for ways that you can improve your energy dependence. If you have the money, if you're not going to go into debt for it, right? 
consider doing some solar installations. Look for government tax credits. There's some huge tax credits this year. Basically, you can this year put in a $10,000 solar system in your home for $8,000. And that's apart from whatever's on sale or whatever incentive or however much you can beat up uh, your suppliers. You can get 10 different guys bidding to do the work. But the government will rebate you. Okay, Not allowed as a deduction, but full dollar-for-dollar dollar rebate. All right, So you go to pay your taxes. They tell you that you owe an additional $100 this year, All right, apart from the solar installation. You put in a $10,000 solar system. You're entitled to $2,000. Your $100 additional tax payment, because right, you had to pay a little bit more in, just turned into a $1,900 refund. That's how those tax credits work this year. Look at doing some of it yourself, even a small solar system, you know, uh, a a few hundred watts of panels and a few batteries and some lighting in your home makes you less dependent. Being able to turn on some lights, all right, if you can create enough solar uh, power to maybe at least run a small refrigerator so you can keep things cool or frozen, I mean, you got a lot of independence going there. If you have a good, even tied-to-the-grid solar system, photovoltaic solar system, uh, that, that augments your cost of electricity, now you've created less dependence on the energy system, and you've created less dependence on the financial system as well because you're saving money. There's a one-time outlay of expense to put the system in, and now you're recouping it. Look for each and everything you can do to cut your dependence on energy. Not just foreign energy, but all energy sources. What can you do for yourself? Every little bit matters. And then commit every dollar that comes out of that system into paying off the debt system or augmenting the financial system. You start to put all of these things together. And all that I'm really telling you today is you just have to look around you and realize that a lot of what you do and a lot of the effort you expend is doesn't do anything for you or your family. It doesn't help you. It doesn't help your neighbor. It doesn't help your wife. It doesn't help your children. It won't help your grandchildren. We are being lied to on a daily basis that it's our patriotic duty to operate inside of all these systems and accept them. And actually we are being trained by these systems to beg for more systems, to beg for more power in the system, to beg for more conglomerations of the systems. If you think about that, that's what's happening. A lot of people that voted for Barack Obama, when you ask them why, the ones that actually had a reason, say because everybody gets free health care. That's what we want. No understanding of how that empowers the system and disempowers the individual. No understanding that there's people in England right now that could get an experimental medication that will cost $40,000 for six months' worth of treatment. Okay, They don't have $40,000, and the system's only willing to pay twenty five, so they get to die. In the United States, the system might only pay the twenty thousand or twenty five thousand of the forty. They might get a bill for twenty and be in debt for the rest of their life, but they have the choice. They can choose to endure the debt and try the experimental system or the experimental treatment. They have the choice to live or to die. 
I'm not real happy with our medical system. I think it's abusive. I think it's wasteful. I don't think there's any reason that any treatment should cost $40,000 for six months. I think that's insane. I think it's criminal. But at least in this system, the way that it is today, I can decide for myself, is my life for the next six months worth $20,000? And if I'm going to be in debt, you know what? Can't get blood from a stone. If I'm, you know, I have no money, fine. Because I tell you what, folks, like a girl that I dated before I met my wife and married her, her father had a heart attack. He went to the county hospital, and they took care of him, and they took great care of him. They did a uh, quint, uh, not a quintuple, a uh, triple bypass on him. They saved his life. They released him from the hospital about four days, five days after open heart surgery. He went home, he made a full recovery, and he went back to work. He had no insurance. They sent him a bill for $85,000. And he called up and negotiated with him, and I think he negotiated something like he's paying $90 a month. And as long as he pays his $90 a month, they won't come after his house. He'll, he'll die. He'll still owe money. But at least he had the choice. Because in these socialized nations, they, get to, they have to make decisions at a certain point. They only have so much to ration out in who is most worthy. It's a lot like the transplant system here. Somebody needs a liver. There's one liver and three people need one that that liver could go to. Who has the greatest chance of long-term survival? Does the 18-year-old girl get the liver? Or the 72-year-old man whose liver is gone because he drank his liver yellow? The 18-year-old girl gets it. Well, that's fine when it's a liver. Um, I hate to say it, but you got to make that call. It's, it's just like a military operation. Uh, these two guys are going to die, but they're going to save 100. Then these two guys have to die. This old man killed his own liver with drinking. He's 72. He's not even likely to survive the surgery. This young girl has an entire life ahead of her, and we could give it back. And there's only one liver available. You got to give it to the girl, but the forty thousand dollars worth of treatment is available. It's there. There's no inventory problem, but a socialized system makes that decision required. And you folks that are up there in Canada, how are you liking that socialized medicine? How long do you have to spend at the doctor to get a checkup or a basic series of immunizations? Do you have to take off work for an entire day to do it? I have some Canadian friends that tell me they do. I don't know, maybe you live in a small area or something where your system's less burdened, but the people that live in your cities, that's what I hear from them. And all of these systems conglomerate themselves, folks. So free yourself, liberate yourself. Do all the things that we talk about on this show. Grow your own food. Do business in your local economy. Let me wrap up today with telling you what the financial system and the debt system have really done. What the real tragedy is, and no one even sees it. They destroyed the barter economy. Everybody talks about if the shit hits the fan and money becomes worthless, we'll go to a barter economy. And they, they realize that because it's the only thing that would be left. Well, let me ask you, what existed before money? A barter economy. What did a barter economy mean? A barter economy meant independence. It meant autonomy for regions and sectors of the world. If you live in a barter economy... And it doesn't have to be all bartered. Currency in itself is not bad if there's some kind of basis for it, if there's some kind of reality behind it. So if you don't have enough cash to get things done, but 
barter is still acceptable to the populace, then you develop skills and you have something to barter. So, you know what? You uh, know how to put starter motors on cars. You're really good at it. You're really quick at it. I could do it too, but I hate it. But you know what? I've got a huge, beautiful garden in my backyard. I'll tell you what. I'll give you a sack of vegetables and fruits. You take care of my starter problem for me. I'll go pay the cash for the part. Now we'll barter the exchange. And does stuff like that go on? Sure it does. Is it accepted as general, you know, it's just something that's open and available in our economy? No. And the Internet is beginning to reassemble it. There's little groups out there, people forming, that are simply saying, this is what I can do, this is what I need, and I'm willing to make an exchange. And as long as it's services and not goods, it's not taxable, and if I give somebody a, a bag of tomatoes, it's up to them to report it, and I'm not filing a form if you get my drift. But the economic system and the debt system were designed specifically to tear down the barter economy. Because you can't tax barter. It's almost impossible to tax barter. Look what the Romans were doing in Israel during the time of Christ. They were taxing barter on a degree. But they had to force a currency in there to make it work. Right? Render on a Caesar with a Caesar. Show me a penny, right? That's in the gospel. Caesar's picture is there on the coin, right? That was the point there, folks. So what the tax collectors that were employed by the Romans would do is go down to fishermen came in, had a great catch. He's got a thousand fish. Take twenty fish from, or two hundred fish from him. Twenty percent tax, but. The tax collector can't keep the fish in his pocket, so he has to take it to the market and sell it himself, convert it to a currency. Right? It's very cumbersome. Now, if the fisherman went out, caught two hundred or a thousand fish, and then had his currency for them taxed, right? Well, that's much easier to tax. So that's what all the governments of the world did, because governments get their power through taxation. All right. They don't really want the money. They want the control. They want the authority and they want the bureaucracy behind them to have it and to enforce it. And the only way to do that is to do that through taxation. So that's what destroyed the barter economy. So one more thing you can do, start reaching out to your neighbors. Get to know the people around you again. Develop community and start bartering just out of spite, if nothing else. Barter something you don't really care about for something you don't really want just to do it. Start taking control of your life. Start realizing that you don't have to live in fear. Start realizing that you control your own destiny. Start realizing that you are dependent on these systems, but the level to which you are dependent upon them is up to you and under your control. This has been Jack Spierka with another edition of the Survival Podcast. Hoping I've helped you figure out today a little bit more about how to live a better life if times get tough, or even if they don't. scream and you can holler it really doesn't matter cause it all gets spent